Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. like a constellation of headlines all around one topic. Uh, This topic in particular is the topic of identity, how we see ourselves, how we understand uh, the reality of being human, how we then engage with one another um, based on our identity. Okay, so let me just let me just rattle off really four or five quick headlines here related to the topic of identity. So the ACLU and Planned Parenthood, among others, are calling for the NCAA to boycott the state of Idaho because the state of Idaho does not allow boys to compete as girls. There is also a group of female athletes, uh, biologically female athletes, who have responded with a letter urging, uh, uh, you know, urging all of us, actually, to ignore the efforts of the ACLU, Planned Parenthood, and others um, to get the NCAA to boycott Idaho. Boycotting an entire state because the state of Idaho recognizes uh, what you and I would understand to be um, the created order of male and female. Facebook is censoring a Christian ministry. Uh, Ann Polk is a friend of mine. She is the president of the Restored Hope Network. We have talked with her here on the program before. Uh, The Restored Hope Network is being censored by Facebook for allegedly promoting, and I'm going to put this in scare quotes because that's the way I would understand this, uh, conversion therapy. And um, as Anne has uh, talked with us uh, here on air before, um, you know, conversion therapy is the uh, dysphemistic way of describing um, what Christians would understand to be the kinds of conversations that take place with individuals who are uh, confused about their sexual orientation and or gender identity and who seek counseling for such. Um, you're familiar with the Harry Potter series. J.K. Rowling is the author of the Harry Potter series. She has been talking candidly of late about uh, identity issues, gender identity issues. She is uh, certainly not, she's candidly not a Christian, but she is a realist and she is rational Um, And she is making headline news today because she is offering these warnings that gender transitioning minors as a medical scandal that is about to erupt, um, particularly in the UK, but also around the world. And related to that, we talk about we talk about medical treatments. We're talking here about hormones, hormone therapies and surgeries. So hormone therapies that are designed to disrupt the the natural development of a human body through puberty. Um, and the natural development then of organs and body parts that would be identifiably male and identifiably female. And then also surgeries designed to mutilate uh, an otherwise healthy human body um, when a person is suffering gender dysphoria and they don't want their body to 
show evidence of its biological reality. The state of California, um, I'm, this, is a, this is a thankful note today. The Senate in the state of California killed a bill yesterday, but the House passed it that would have used taxpayer dollars to fund the kind of therapies um, and surgeries for teenagers with gender dysphoria who are seeking to dissociate from their biological bodies. So while I'm thankful that the Senate killed the bill, um, let me be very clear. The, the California House passed the bill and is very likely going to continue advocating for this uh, transgender agenda. So I lift up all of that today as uh, prayer concerns. I lift it up as um, cultural notes of which Christians must uh, be aware and conversations in which we must be engaged. Peter Kapsner is in the on-deck circle. Uh, he's joining us today from northern Michigan, and we are going to find out whether or not there are cherries on the trees. I think that's going to be my first question. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Kapsner is joining us today, apparently from the abundant harvest of the state of Michigan, where there are 52, 52 produce items currently available, according to Google. Well, I think that sounds about right, Carmen, uh, although I admit that I have not seen a cherry tree, uh, much what? to my chagrin at this point, because I am a huge cherry guy and the Rainier cherry ones. Now I'm at Rainier probably don't come from Michigan, I'm guessing, but um, I would be willing to drive to wherever Rainier is, which I believe is in the Pacific Northwest to get some cherries. Uh, Dude, you are I'm, in, you are proximate right now, wherever you are, you are proximate to not only tart because you're like right on the edge. The sweet cherry season is almost over. The tart cherry season is upon uh, us. The tart cherry is the pie cherry. I, yep. What are you doing? I don't know why you're there if you're not out picking cherries. Yeah, no, I, I confess I'm relatively <laughs> useless right now. No, I, I'm surrounded, you know, and I love pine trees, uh, Carmen. I'm surrounded by them right now. But but from a utilitarian standpoint, they're relatively useless. I mean, other than a dry pine cone to start a bonfire, there really isn't much around me. I need to go on the hunt for the cherry trees. There's no you do, question. You do. Yeah, just, I, just, I really do. Yeah. All right. Google Maps, put it in there. It'll take you to the the, the closest you pick cherry farm. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> you it. pick cherries. Okay. Uh, Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, there's a city called um, Somerville. And yes. the city of Somerville uh, is now recognizing polyamorous relationships. I thought that because you're my relationship guy, we should, first of all, define polyamory define polyamorous relationships, and then just, you know, make a comment here about why this is an important conversation for us to have. Uh, at, I mean, in the United States of America, what does it mean that we have arrived at the place where polyamorous relationships are now recognized in some places? Yeah, polyamorous relationships are people that are in the kinds of relationships where they don't have a, a single covenant partner with whom they might uh, be in relationship, emotional, physical, sexual, uh, across the board. They can sort of trade around different kinds of partners and and uh, some ways in which maybe our listeners have heard of it would be an open marriage. Uh, again, you're not in a single faithful monogamous covenant partnership with one person. 
And in this particular case, it, it did come, as you said, out of the state of Massachusetts. And it was kind of done just on the, on the QT right before uh, one of the council meetings of, of the city happened, in which they were debating the idea that they should allow for um, partners and in relationships to visit their loved ones in the hospital. So this has been an ongoing conversation, right, that we've had for quite some time. Should non-married people uh, be allowed to visit their partners in the hospital? And that even was the impetus to some degree uh, for some of the civil rights movements around uh, advocating for gay marriage. And now it happened here where the same momentum was for polyamorous relationships, that if you have a partner, even if they don't live at the same address as you, and, and that was a significant part of this this bill that was being passed towards the uh, end of this council meeting, where you can just say, this person is my partner, and you don't have to be living in the same residence. They can be one of a few different partners that you have, and you then have the right to visit your partner should they be sick in the hospital. And in an era of COVID, uh, obviously, visiting a loved one in the hospital is very difficult. So this bill paved the way for that to happen. And I think where the significance for me lies, Carmen, is this all sounds kind of crazy, I think, on the front end, uh, as things like these often do. But Massachusetts in 2004 was the first state to allow for gay marriages. And if we could rewind ourselves and live a day in 2004, for many of us, that might have sounded sort of crazy. Like, really, we're advocating for gay marriages? This is, this is very new. Our country's never done this before. It seems kind of crazy. What is Massachusetts up to? That'll never be the norm. But now we sit here 16 years later and gay marriage is the law of the land. And, uh, and the council members even said they hoped that in their advocating for this polyamorous uh, situation where, where the partners could visit one another, that they hoped that that could be a model for the rest of the country. And it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, you, you just referenced the headlines from some of the transgender reassignment surgeries and uh, gender dysphoria. Uh, hormone blockers and some of what's going on in California that was at least temporarily struck down and, and finding itself having an, the Christians finding themselves having an unusual ally in J.K. Rowling in that way. Uh, but you wonder if that momentum will continue uh, as well and, and if these things would just become the norm. Now, I would suspect that because the, the, the transgender reassignment surgeries and the hormone blockers and the mastectomies and everything that goes with it, that there's such an obvious kind of horrific reality that happens to our kids that you can see in the physical world, I think that one's going to have a harder time gaining momentum. But when it comes to the polyamorous relationships, because we live in the kind of society that's like, hey, whoever you want to love, who, who are you hurting? You want to love uh, multiple people and multiple relationships? You're not really hurting anyone, quote unquote, is the objection. So this one might actually gain some more momentum, again, to the detriment of our understanding of sexuality and covenant relationships. And, and what we're designed for by God to walk in. We want to continue to, uh, Peter and I both want to encourage you to understand God's design for uh, humanity as individuals, um, for human relationships, for the covenant relationship of marriage between one man and one woman, um, for the way God has designed families for the building blocks of of society and culture. Um, and we want to continue to lift up what God has said about these things and God's design, even as we uh, we point to and address issues that arise in our culture where people are demonstrably confused about uh, mm-hmm. about these same topics. And so, yeah. um, you know, please hear us when Peter Kapsner and I both positively affirm 
um, what Scripture says about the way God has created us in his image as distinctly male and female, uh, distinctly created us for covenant marriage between one man and one woman, and then for the way that children, uh, by God's design, uh, come into the world and are nurtured in family systems um, by a mom and a dad. So uh, we want to affirm all of that even as we address the confusion of the day in which we live. Next up, when we come back from a very brief break, I'm going to ask Peter what he's reading this summer, and we're going to talk about why what we're reading matters and Publisher Weekly, which is highlighting books featuring pansexual main characters. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Um, Peter, what are you reading this summer? Well, right now I've got, because uh, we are on our short summer holiday that we take each year to northern Michigan, I, I brought a few books with me. I've got uh, A Man Called Uwe, which I, I read about half of maybe a year ago. And uh, I'm going to try to read the second half while I'm up here. Uh, I confess that I have a, a Robert Ludlum uh, book, the Bourne, uh, one of the Bourne, Jason Bourne series books, because I love the spy thriller. And then I've got uh, The Day of the Revolution Began from N.T. Wright, in which he talks about uh, the, what happened when that tomb really broke open and, and the first fruits uh, of a new way of living uh, burst forth into the world and what that means for today. So I've got kind of a combination of, of a fun relationship book, um, a spy thriller, and what I think is a really important theological book. So books are, um, you know, maybe in much the same way that uh, we might ask a young person today what's on their playlist. Um, Books are a window into um, what we're thinking about, how we're thinking about what we're thinking about, um, the storylines that we appreciate, that which we find engaging. And so um, when I saw that Publishers Weekly was highlighting books featuring uh, main characters who are described as pansexual I thought to myself, hmm, now I recently uh, heard that ha- the Hallmark Channel is, you know, is actively engaged in the development of programming that features LGBTQ storylines. Um, now we're talking about books uh, that are featuring pansexual main characters. The only reason that those companies think that there are markets, publishers think that there are markets, or movie producers think that there are markets, is because there is an appetite in the American culture for these kinds of storylines. Talk with us about that. Yeah, that's exactly—I I can speak to that firsthand, at least on some level, too, because my oldest son uh, took a gap year from university this past year to finish uh, a novel that he wrote. It, it was a fiction novel, a somewhat sci-fi, sort of sci-fi met Lord of the Rings, and it's a really well-done novel. It, it has the opportunity to be published. And, and he finished his final edits and send it to his editor to, to get into that last uh, stages of publishing. And the comments that he got back uh, were that obviously it was a very good book, but he was told that he needed to develop a storyline that had gay characters as well. Uh, otherwise, mm. it may not have the opportunity to get published. And that was really pretty stunning to me uh, that I knew that this was becoming more mainstream. It, it'll be once movie theaters are up and running again, Disney, I'm sure in the next five years, we're going to see a pretty significant gay character, not just uh, some of the gay characters that they've had in passing. And and I think what's troubling to me about it a little bit, Carmen, is that story has the capacity to sort of get through our discernment filters and our moral filters because we get attached to the characters of a good book, as you should. A good book should draw you into the story and into the characters. 
and you begin to like and sympathize with the characters again as you should uh, but if you're not careful then that can begin to uh, subject your sort of moral filtering and, and it begins to deaden it a little bit and and that's what we're seeing in these stories there's an increasing appetite and 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 going back to something that you said just before the break to advocate for covenant marriage to advocate for male and female marriage uh, does not have to be a heavy-handed thing it can be a, a terribly invitational thing to talk about the beauty and wonder of god's design for male and female but i don't know that we've done a lot of that for the generations that are coming up i'm not even sure my generation we did a lot of that in the church it was just assumed that you know marriage was male and female but people don't talk about the why and they don't talk about the wonder and they don't talk about the possibility and and what was god up to when he designed things in these way and it, ways and i I sort of stumbled on it in the class on sexuality that I've taught for uh, nearly a decade now that I, I had to start class with four to six weeks or so just walking the students through the scriptures and in conversations and in science and in sociology and in theology about why male and female marriage was really the beautiful invitation that God has given us. However much we've messed it up, it doesn't change that it's a beautiful invitation. And then from there, they could begin to see, oh, wait a second. Now I understand why not doing sexual experimentation before marriage is, is probably a really healthy choice. And now I'm understanding why gay relationships uh, are, are not going to be consistent with that design. And again, it's not heavy handed. It's not judgmental. It's not criticizing. It just says, oh, those things end up in places of confusion and pain and turmoil. Uh, and, and yet, uh, and marriages can too. But when you, when you have the vision of what a healthy marriage can be and two people work at it, male and female, it can really be a beautiful covenant place. And, and our young people, I think we all need it, right? But our young people in particular that haven't grown up with many models or much teaching about it, they are being taught by the books that they're reading and, and what's going on in Netflix and, and all of the different streaming apps that we have right now about what relationships and sex is meant to be. And it's a, it's a pretty confusing reality. And there is an increasing appetite then, as you just said, for these books. I mean, once you create the possibility of something, then that possibility creates the appetite for more of that something. And it just gets to be this chain reaction that we can continue to, to walk in as a country and especially for our young people. You know, it occurs to me that um, we either positively um, expose young people to God's beautiful truth um, about who we are and the relationships he's designed us to be in um, and, the, and the redemptive narrative and the role of, of marriage in all of that, or we just let culture educate them and, and, and teach them, you know, culture's, yep. culture's view of things. Somebody is teaching our kids, and if we're not yep. actively doing it, culture is. That's exactly right. I've been saying that for a while now, too, that it's not that our kids haven't been taught about sexuality and gender. They are being taught. But the teachers are, are pretty rubbish right now. They're people looking at like a lot of money in books and in Hollywoods to, to market ideas that will then draw young people in. So I think to reestablish some things uh, in, in the church is going to be a hard and, and maybe a long thought journey. But I think it's important. And the most important piece of it is that there really is a beautiful invitation. Instead of shouting at everybody about how wrong they are, invite them to what is good, and then you begin to see those things that fall short from that place. So let me just stick a big warning label here at the at the conclusion of this conversation. Uh, there is a, 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 a 
a Natalia Dyer movie coming out on streaming. It's called Yes, God, Yes. Mm. Let me just put a giant warning sticker on yeah. this. Um, you're going to see a 92% Rotten Tomatoes review of this. It's as being popular. You're going to hear her described as you know having a charming performance. This is um, anything but what you mm. want to be exposing your kids to in terms of uh, of God's design for us as individuals and the relationships that we have. Um, yes, God, Yes is not a movie that you want your kids to see. I'm just going ahead and tell you that. Yeah, even though the world's going to say that it is. All right, uh, yep. Peter Kapsner, we got to let it go there. Go um, go find a U-Pick cherry uh, <laughs> orchard near where you are because we're going to be looking for that report next week. <laughs> Carmen, I'm going to go forage. I don't know if, if, I, if I know how to forage, <gasps> but I'm going to go forage for the rest of the okay. day. I'm finding the I'm cherry. totally married to forager. At some point, we have to talk about <laughs> when Jim and I were on our, uh, our honeymoon in France. Every single day, we had to go back to this one place where they had these <laughs> cherry trees because he climbed up every single day and foraged cherries. That's I know. Brilliant. I, know. That, uh, I need some go. tips. That's brilliant. Uh, totally. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Sam Collier is a pastor. He is also a speaker and a writer. I don't know. Maybe um, maybe you are uh, a fan of the Steve Harvey show, and you maybe actually saw Sam Collier uh, reunited as an adult with his birth mom, um, and he and his twin sister also uh, were reunited that day with three other siblings. Um, Sam's a pastor. He has written a book called A Greater Story, um, he, Sam is interested in not only telling his own story. I mean, while that's a provocative one and super interesting, he is interested in helping each of us connect our story to God's story because that's ultimately the greater story of which we are a part. Next up, Sam Collier on A Greater Story. This is Max Lucado. Hurting people hang with hurting people. We love those who commiserate and avoid those who correct us. Yet, correction and direction are what we need. I discovered the importance of healthy counsel in a half Ironman triathlon. After the 1.2 mile swim and the 56 mile bike ride, I didn't have much energy left for the 13.1 mile run. Neither did the fellow jogging next to me. I asked him how he was doing and soon regretted it. He said, this stinks. It's the dumbest decision I've ever made. He had more complaints than a taxpayer at the IRS. My response to him, goodbye. I knew if I listened too long, I'd start agreeing with him. Proverbs reminds us to take good counsel and watch your plans succeed. So be quick to pray, seek healthy counsel, and don't give up. This is Max Lucado. Today, I'm hungry and I'm ready for change. I run too far to still be the same. See who I was, I give him away today. today. Every person that you meet, including uh, the one you meet in the mirror every day, is really interested in answering three big primary questions, and those questions center on identity, belonging, and purpose. You can't really ask the purpose question until we have rightly answered the identity and belonging questions, and a person who has... Um, uh, who has had a lifetime of exploring and then reframing the answers to those questions using God's perspective is Sam Collier. He is a pastor. He is also here today as the author of A Greater Story, My Rescue, Your Purpose, and Our Place in God's Plan. Sam, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. 
Carmen, I am so honored to be with you today. Your reputation precedes you. This is just a great honor. Well, it's a delight to have you uh, to have you with us today. And um, for uh, for people who are listening right now who think that their story, their personal story, their life story is so messed up, God could not possibly be interested in them. Um, God could not possibly be doing uh, something active in their story right now that is aligned with his purpose. I want you to speak to that listener right now. Yeah, you know, I'll say, you know, my father always told me that it's not about the cards you've been dealt, but about how you play the hand. And I think so many times we become victims of our circumstances because we just believe that there is not greater out there available for us. And we just believe that the life that we are living um, is is our fate, um, that, that God could not penetrate through the darkness we find ourselves in. But I want to take um, a lot of our listeners, and when we talk about this idea of a greater story, that when your story connects to God's story, it leads to a greater story, which is the name of the book, it's the name of the movement, it's the name of... <laughs> Uh, of the mantra that I live, I want to take you to Nairobi, Kenya, uh, to a, a friend of mine. Um, he, he's amazing, and he grew up in the poorest part on the outskirts of Nairobi. When when people think about the extreme parts of the world, um, in which you go, well, God couldn't be working there, right? Or uh, maybe that principle doesn't work because what about these third world countries? And he grew up in a hut, Carmen, and he would have to walk two miles. Uh, to get water, um, no electricity. His mom has HIV. Uh, he now runs one of the largest nonprofits in Nairobi, Kenya. And I asked him one day, out of his eight brothers and sisters, what was the difference between him and his sisters? And he said, "I just believe God could do more. Hmm. There was nothing super special about my story. I didn't. Someone didn't come rescue me or." I just believe God could do more. I gave my life to Christ and I started to work and I, I, I had a vision. I always say this uh, because, you know, my life started in poverty and we had a nonprofit in the inner city for years. The only way to deliver someone from extreme poverty or poverty at all, um, you, you, you would be uh, surprised to believe that it's not actually resources, even though resources definitely help. It actually starts with a vision for more. If they can see more, um, then, you know, things will change. So that so much of this book, so much of this conversation is about perspective. And what yeah. you're talking about is instead of having this like uh, if my husband were standing here right now, he would be using his hands and he would have this like he would be holding his hands together, fingertips and, and thumbs together, like making a very small circle. And when the circumstances of our life are hard and we feel abandoned or rejected or we uh, you know, we think everything is against us. We are seeing things through this very, 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 very small lens. But God's perspective is not only uh, eternal, it's also, you know, universal, it's global. It's just a massive perspective on things. And what you're really talking about in this book, in my sense is, is reframing how I see things, how I see myself, how I see my circumstances, but firstly, how I see God. And if I am able to um, gain God's perspective on things, then I'm able to see where God might show up um, or how God might be operating today in ways that right now are beyond my experience. 100%, Carmen. You know, um, how we see God really does impact what our life is. 
and how we move throughout life. You'd be surprised, and I'm, and I'm sure a lot of people would, uh, they'd be surprised at how much their theology, which their theology is what they believe about God, is what you think about God, how their theology informs every single decision that they make, and also the life in which they find themselves living. A lot of people think it's just, oh, well, it's my circumstances, or oh, I just kind of fell into this, or you know, I'm just kind of moving along. But people don't really understand that at the core of everything that we do, it goes back to how we actually view God. One of the biggest principles um, that, that really changed my life is when I really started to understand the idea of the talents that, you know, the parable that Jesus talks about that, you know, the man that had five turned his into 10 and the one that had 10 turns, turned his into 20. But the man that had one didn't do anything because he thought that what he had was insignificant. And the, and the text actually says that God was not pleased with that man and took the one away. What, what does that say to us about God? It says that he is always about growth. He wants things to grow. The idea of the Great Commission is based around growth. Go and spread the gospel of the kingdom. Go and do this. Go and do this. I mean, this radio show is a reaction uh, to that passage that God has uh, expanded your territory, Carmen, and this show to be able to reach uh, thousands and even millions around uh, the country and sometimes even around the world. But he didn't do it for you. He did it because he likes growth. And I think Mm -hmm. that when people uh, change their mentality to know that he likes growth. You can have a story like in Nairobi, Kenya, where someone take gets out of extreme poverty. You can have stories like mine because we we start to activate kingdom principles that have already been written into the earth that no matter what we go through will still work. Now, that doesn't mean that God moves every mountain because sometimes he uses the mountains that are in front of us to get us to where he wants us to be or to fulfill his purpose. But it does mean that he'll give us the strength to either climb the mountain or make it through. But even in the midst of us holding certain mountains in our hands, right, or or, or facing certain mountains, God still has a plan that in the midst of that, uh, that, that trial to grow something else in our life or to leverage our circumstances or our life to, to make a difference. There, there's so many people that um ha- have even had cancer and, They've uh, experienced different hardships, deaths in the family, I- I- extreme stuff that, you know, even COVID-19. I lost my biological father um, about three months ago from COVID-19, met him twice in my life. The week after that, I lost my uncle. The week after that, I lost my aunt. We're talking about three weeks straight of, of death. And you go, God, whoa, what is happening? And I think in that moment, and we haven't gotten to this point, but at some, I'm sure at some point we'll get to this point. Where it's like, you know, I, I, if I believe that God is good, then I believe that he's working everything out for my good. His ways are not my ways. I'm, I mourn, but I am still uh, grateful for God being good, and I still believe that. But even in spite of, the, of, of that and of, the, and of those circumstances, God still has a plan in that to use me, um, and that growth principle is still active. Sam, we talked about uh, suffering earlier this week, actually, on the program, and that Romans 8 passage that you are alluding to there, um, you know, is connected to the Romans chapter 5 reality. If I don't, if I'm not experiencing everything through the perspective of of justification, that I'm justified um, in Christ by God's grace, then I cannot see suffering as anything but that which is desperately hopeless. And so um, it's— um, 
It's a conversation that is uh, is so robust and so important to have. All right. Hey, let me just reset here. I am talking with Sam Collier, among other things. He is the author of A Greater Story, his brand new book. It's actually not even available yet. However, I have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is A Greater Story. And Sam and I will be right back. I ain't the type of person to give up easy. I'm going to keep fighting until it's over, believe me. And you can put your money on that. Continue my conversation with Sam Collier. Is that him singing? Is that you singing? That is him. It's crazy. <laughs> All right. So he's just, got yeah, believe he's a very that. talented guy. <laughs> All right. So, um, Sam, uh, we're, we are talking about, among other things, your brand new book, A Greater Story, My Rescue, Your Purpose, and Our Place in God's Plan. Um, my audience knows that there's, uh, you know, although I love the contents of the book proper, I love two things about a book. One would be appendices, um, but the other is also the dedication. And so yeah. um, I'm going to ask you... Um, to tell us about Lamar and Belinda, and then tell us about Sarah. 100%. You know, <laughs> dedicated the book to them um, because they were, they are our living heroes. Sarah is my twin sister, and um, Lamar and Belinda are our adoptive parents. And they adopted us when we were two months. Um, many, many people that know the story of a greater story in which the book was written knows that uh, it begins with this incredible moment on the Steve Harvey show on national television. Um, and what happens before that, that leads up to this moment that I walk you through very quickly is um, we're born into poverty. Me and my twin sister, um, our mother's, our biological mother's 21 when she had us and she had three kids already. And so now we've got, she's got five kids age 21 living in extreme poverty. And our dad addicted to crack at the time. Um, as I said, we lost him a couple months ago um, from COVID-19 because he had diabetes and he actually left the hospital in New York city where he was living to go and purchase more drugs and substances that, ended up contracting COVID-19 on the streets. Uh, I give that as an example to talk about uh, how long um, substance abuse has had him and it was prevalent in his life when our, when our mother had us. And so he left the picture. And so she's in the hospital um, at age 21 trying to figure out, do I take care of these two kids and continue to raise them in poverty like I've raised the other three? I don't have enough money to take care of the three or do I give them up? She gives us up for adoption we get adopted by Lamar and Belinda, who had just met a year prior in Washington, D.C., um, in a laundromat randomly um, because my mother the night before had been hit, had been hit in the head with a hammer by her ex-husband um, in an extremely abusive relationship. And she got up the next morning to get out by any means necessary. And she was actually going to go kill him if she needed to to get out because it was extremely abusive. Meets my father my adoptive dad, Lamar, in the laundromat as he's going through his second divorce, and she doesn't go and kill him. They they walk out together. They go through with their divorces, 
and they give their life to Christ for the first time. My dad's 50 something at the time. And they say, God, you know, we've done our we've done it our way long enough. God, you take over. They get married. They realize my mother can't have kids, but they want kids. And so they come down to Augusta, Georgia, where, where me and my twin sister, Sarah, had just been given up for adoption. They walk over to the crib. They say they want us. The lady who's running the home says, no, you don't want them because you see where they come from. They're probably not going to be much. They're probably going to be mentally challenged, um, you know, addiction and poverty and uh, some some of the adoption papers say that they traced my mother's steps back to a prostitution house. Now, we don't know if she was prostituting or if she was just living there, but it was in the papers. And they said, no, we want them. They prayed. They, they formed a little something called a prayer closet. There was a movie called War Room with Priscilla Shire, the Kendrick brothers, I believe, and uh, talks about the, the power of prayer. God spoke to them and said, these are your kids. They're going to be okay. They raise us on Auburn Avenue across the street from the Martin Luther King Jr. Center where the above tombs of MLK and Coretta sit. We just lost Congressman John Lewis. I have a picture sitting on his lap when I was six at my dad's barbershop on Auburn Avenue when he was cutting his hair. That was kind of our childhood. My sister got all A's from kindergarten up to 12th grade. Um, dual scholarship to Spelman and Georgia Tech became an industrial engineer and I'm here with Carmen. <laughs> and so <laughs> I feel like I made it. God uh, started to rewrite our story, got into ministry, all the other things. Fast forward four years later, and I'm done with the story. My father says that it's time for you to go find your biological family randomly one day. Um, in the barbershop, he had been watching Steve Harvey every day. And so he told us in that moment that the Lord told him Steve Harvey was going to help us do it. I thought he was crazy. I thought he lost his mind. I found out that he convinced my sister to write into the Steve Harvey show. Um, a year goes by. They call us. They say, do you want to find your biological family? We think we can help you. I said, let me call you back. I call my sister. I say, Sarah, do you want to do it? She says, no, I don't want to do it, but I feel like God is doing something in this. I call them back. They fly us up. Me, Sarah, Lamar, Belinda, they say, we're so sorry we couldn't find anyone, but we want to bring you on the show to make a plea. They bring us on the show. They go to commercial break. Steve Harvey is singing and talking to the audience. After commercial break, he comes back. He says, I know I told you that we didn't find anybody, mm. but your biological mother is here. Eleanor, come on out. Mm. And we reunite with our biological mother for the first time on national television. Hey, Sam, you and That's I are going to... Yeah, and we're going to leave the rest of the story to the book, um, because I think that when you connect your story to God's story and you then help us connect all of that to the greater story, um, you you have used your own story to help others understand how God operates, even in the midst of what we experience as, as suffering or struggle. Um, you help us reframe that and see um, not only God's perspective, but God's providence in the midst of all of it. It's, it is fantastic. And so um, I just want to thank you for being with us today. Let me remind our listeners, I do have copies to give away. It's not publicly available until August the 4th, but it's available here today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 and um, track Sam Collier down uh, on all the socials. Sam, thank you so much. Carmen, you are amazing. Again, just this was an extreme honor. Love everything God's doing. It, it, it's a delight. It's a delight. We'll be right back. I hope 
you love what you're doing today as much as I love what I'm doing today. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.